We sung these words, only by grace can we stand. Uh, Heavenly Father, we would ask, as we look at uh, your words about your Son, that you would help us, by the Holy Spirit, to understand again the content of grace and to be persuaded again that it's only by grace we can stand before you and live our lives, both now and in the age to come. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you've got a favourite uh, TV advert uh, in between the programmes you're watching. Is there an advert that comes on uh, that just makes you, you smile, uh, you enjoy it? I like the one. I like the one where the guy is looking for a room in a shared flat. A door opens, a friendly chap shows him round the other flatmates, a collection of beautiful women who love to cook great food and watch football. He's shown the potential room. It is a bit small, but what of you? What a view. It overlooks a football stadium. As they begin to watch the match for free, one of the women hands him a beer and the voiceover says, Carlsberg don't do flatmates. But if they did, they'd probably be the best in the world. And then the end of the advert comes up at Carlsberg, probably the best lager in the world. It's the false humility that makes you smile. It's the thing that makes me smile anyway. That's what I enjoy. We know what, we're, we know what they're saying. Uh, we're the best. We just don't like to say it directly. It doesn't really bother us, does it? Because we can spot it. Uh, we don't mind it. We're in on the joke. Uh, but there's another kind of false humility that causes a few more problems. And we'll see it in this reading that we've looked at uh, tonight. I was thinking about it again uh, this week uh, because I remembered a friend, uh, Alice, uh, she had a Christian come to her on one occasion with a, a word, supposedly, from the Lord. It was completely patronizing, utterly discouraging. But it was delivered in such a way uh, that the person giving it appeared spiritual. And it paraded itself as being humble. There was a kind of humility about it, probably. Yet if you believe these particular words, the effect they would leave you feeling... The effect uh, would leave you feeling condemned and so out of touch with God that he had to bring alongside you not just a Christian brother or sister who knows you and wants to encourage you to live for Jesus, but a super spiritual type with little knowledge of your situation to speak critical words followed by their spiritual direction. And I don't think her experience is uncommon. See, how do you cope with discouragements like that? Discouragements that leave you feeling you're further away from God. And how do you cope with the ones that are even more serious? Uh, The ones that uh, Paul's addressing here in Colossians 2. As I read through uh, this bit of chapter 2, the feel from Paul is something like this. Toughen up, or false teachers will capture you. So toughen up, or false teachers will capture you. Does that feel encouraging? See, we've seen again as a church family, haven't we? in the past couple of weeks, that there are sadnesses and discouragements for which the appropriate comfort is to spend time before the Lord and with loved ones. We need the encouragement that's spoken with gentle words as we're held in loving arms. But there are other discouragements for which gentle words are not the answer. And if you can bear it, it's those discouragements Paul addresses here. See, from verses 8 to 23, what we have is a long and robust warning that's meant to encourage 
discouraged Christians. And there's little evidence of gentle words quietly spoken. You have a look at verse 8. You hear what Paul says. See to it that no one takes you captive. Verse 16. Do not let anyone judge you. Verse 19. Do not let anyone disqualify you. And so as you're reading it, you, you begin to get an insight into the effect these false teachers will have. I see they'll put you on the back foot. You get the sense as you read through this that they'll come at you in such a way that you'll get confused. You'll, you'll start to question whether there's not something in what they say. Paul says, don't let these guys push you around. And it's not just that they'll put you on the back foot. It's that they'll divide you from Christ. I went to see uh, Brideshead Revisited at uh, the cinema the other week. I love films about posh English people. You make me laugh. <laughs> a Charles Ryder, who is decidedly lower middle class, has been invited by Sebastian Flight to the home of his mother, Lady Marchmain. Uh, as Charles is getting ready for dinner, Sebastian's sister, I think she's called Cecilia, delivers the kind of put-down that only a posh English person can deliver with any kind of style. As she says to him, a linen suit for dinner, Charles? How very daring. It's the kind of comment, isn't it, that's intended only to make you blush, leave you feeling you don't really fit in, that you're lacking something uh, fundamental. You see what Paul says about these false teachers? Verse 16 again. Don't let anyone judge you. The idea is that they're condemning you. At verse 19, don't let anyone disqualify you, making you feel that you don't really belong. See, it seems that some teachers have arrived and are are looking on these Colossian Christians and saying they're lacking something fundamental. And as these false teachers grow in their own self-confidence, the Colossians stand blushing and feeling ashamed. And it will divide the church as some are taken in. Which is exactly what Paul wants to counter. So verse 8 again. See to it that no one takes you captive. Don't be taken in. And you understand why it's so important. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. If you're taken in by these guys... And Paul says you'll end up divided from Christ. See, toughen up, or false teachers will capture you. See, now, brothers and sisters, I know when we hear that, some of us don't like the sound of this. And for some of you older saints, anything that smacks of a fight within the church appears undignified. You don't like it. Nobody does. Uh, For some of you who are more timid, anything that smacks of a fight within the church seems far too confrontational. You don't like it. Nobody does. Uh, For some of you uh, young Christians, anything that smacks of a fight within the church seems uncalled for. Surely we can just get along. Uh, You don't like it. Nobody does. But the Apostle Paul says, false teaching will come. If you don't watch out, It'll have you on the back foot and it will separate you from Jesus. So toughen up or it will capture you. So you ask the question, well, well, how exactly are we to toughen up? 
Well, that's the first point on your handout. If you're following along, there's, there's two headings to come. The first one is this. I don't lose sight of the wonder of Christ. Verses 9 to 15. I don't lose sight of the wonder of Christ. Have you come across the wonder room? Have you come across that? Have you come across the wonder room? It's at Selfridges in London. I've never been. I just found it on the internet. I love the title of it. The wonder room. It's like, I think, an upmarket store for those with money to burn. Jewellery from Chopard. Watches from Gerard Perigo. Cigars from J.J. Fox. All the wonderful things in life. I've never actually heard of any of them. <laughs> but they sound wonderful, don't they? They sound like just the kind of thing you would like. And then the blurb on the website says, we have been searching for a wide variety of wondrous items, from phoenix eggs to magic carpets, from dragons to witches' brooms, and we're looking for one pair of breeding unicorns. It sounds wonderful, doesn't it? <laughs> Just let me ask you, if you could get into the wonder room, what would you choose? What would you choose? If you're a bit more generous than that, if you could choose one thing for your best friend, what would that wonderful thing be? Something in us is looking and is drawn to wonderful things, isn't it? And yet Paul would say, forget Selfridges and any other shop and let me show you the real wonder room. God's wonder room. Uh, That's what he's doing in verses 9 to 15. And as he opens the door, he says, come and see. Come and see. Uh, And there's only one thing in it. Jesus. That's who fills these verses. Uh, Actually, he's not called Jesus here. If you notice as the reading went on, he's called by his title, Christ. Uh, That's literally anointed one. It, It means God's chosen one see God's already chosen the one that we're to choose he's saying here is the most wonderful thing you could ever possess it's Christ why is he wonderful as you look at him well Paul says this he's fullness verses 9 and 10 he's fullness See, verse 9, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. You understand at least some of what that means. God has made himself fully available to you through Christ. So if you trust Jesus, you come into a direct and unhindered living relationship with the creator of the universe. See, Christian, Sitting in this building now, you have full and free access to God through Christ. And if you want to get to know him better, all you have to do is get to know Jesus more. See, that's our aim every week as we study the Bible together. But you see, at the end of verse 10, Paul slips in this other bit about Christ. He says this about him. He says, he is the head over every power and authority. Now, why does he say that? Let me try and illustrate somewhat. For boys, for boys and men here, generally speaking, the wonderful things that we love are usually gadgets. They tend to be the wonderful things that we love. And we love the moment when 
we got it out of its wrapper and we pushed the power button for the first time and turned to someone and say, look what it does. Look what it does. It's a diary and a phone and I can make the screen turn upside down and I can check the cricket scores on it. Now just ask Andrew Reese about something that cool. Yeah, men, we're, we're simple, uncomplicated creatures, easily pleased. Now remember, uh, Paul has taken us into God's wonder room and shown us Christ. And he's saying, if you like, push the power button and see what he graciously does for you. See what his power is all about. We see verses 11 to 13. This is what he says his power is about. He's the fresh start. He's the fresh start. Uh, There's lots in these verses. You'll recognize the language of being buried and being raised up. He's talking about Christ's death and resurrection. That's where Christ's power flows from. But verse 13 is is almost like a kind of summary. Paul says this, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. So if you're a Christian... When you trusted Christ, God made you alive again so that from that point on, you could live for him. Now, all that talk about circumcision is is kind of symbolic language for saying whether you felt it or not, the moment you put your uh, trust in Christ, you were wonderfully changed. Christ's power flowed into you. It's like he cut out that part of you that would always ignore God. He gave you a fresh start. So that now you're able to properly live for him. That's why, if you're a Christian, even if you struggle at times, you've got this thought going on in your mind. Uh, You're thinking, I I want to live for God. You had that? Even though you struggle, even though you muck up, you you have this thought at the back of your mind, "I, I do want to live for God, I want to do what he says. That's Christ's power flowing into you. That's why, if you're not a Christian, you still think... I'm not really that sure I want to live for God because you've not got his power yet. See, all the power for proper Christian living comes through trusting Christ alone. That's what Paul's saying. See, but Jesus is more than that. See, he might be the fresh start, but verses 13 to 15, he's freedom. You see, Paul's talking about the cross again in these verses. That's always where Christ's power flows from. But you see what Paul is saying it, Christ did on the cross. See, verse 13, he forgave all our sins. Past, present, future. So how did he do that? Because we're sinful, because we, we don't live the way God says, God's word stands against us. It's opposed to us saying that we're guilty. Uh, we deserve to die and be separated from God eternally. But Christ took that, that written code that was, that was fair and just and said, I'll take the penalty for all of it. And so it was all nailed up with him on the cross. Uh, so that now if I'm trusting him, there is nothing left for me to pay. Uh, Jesus Christ has paid it all for me in full. See, it's not just that Christ gives me power to live as a Christian should, it's that he guarantees forgiveness even when I don't. Isn't that wonderful? It's not just that Christ gives me the power to live as a Christian should, it's that he he guarantees forgiveness even when I don't. I'm free. See, imagine it this way. You walk out of God's wonder room with Jesus Christ, trusting him, him, and someone says to you, who's that? 
Now your response should be, oh, who's that? Who's that? Well, that's Jesus Christ. He tells me everything I need to know about God and life. He gives me the power I need to live life properly. And even when I don't, he's paid for all my sin. He's wonderful. And you can know him too. So dear friends, if you want to be tough enough to avoid being captured by false teachers, well then first of all, don't lose sight of the wonder of Jesus Christ. Well, here's the second thing. See, watch out for anyone offering something other than Christ. Uh, Katrina uh, was a girl I knew in Glasgow. Uh, She was talking to a Christian couple I knew, expressing her frustration that there were no decent blokes in the church. No possible husband was going on about it. Uh, They listened for a while and then said, look, uh, would you write down a list of things you're looking for in a husband? Uh, Get your list sorted, then look around the church again. So she felt she had nothing to lose. She did it. And with a list in hand, she said, it's him. I just never spotted him before. The story does have a happy ending. She, She did get married to the guy. It's incredible, isn't it? Um... Look, this, this isn't top tips on relationships. I'm not proposing, <laughs> I'm not proposing the list uh, as a way to guarantee a husband or a wife. I just want to merely point out, it's much easier to spot things when you're clear what you're looking for. It's much easier to spot things when you know what you're looking for. You, you see this letter to the Colossians. It isn't just an interesting hit, historical document. Uh, God's giving us, if you like, an insight through it into a particular kind of distortion of the Christian message that could capture us. So you look again at verse 9. And Paul says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Yeah, we've already seen it. Paul says, In Christ you find fullness and freedom. Well, why does he stress that to these Christians? Well, it's because what these false teachers are doing isn't trying to get people to give up being Christians. And by the way, I see uh, Richard Dawkins, uh, that atheist, is sponsoring an atheist advertising campaign that has the slogan, God probably doesn't exist, so stop worrying and enjoy your life, which seems a rather unpersuasive slogan. (laughs) You can't really imagine skydivers adopting that tack, can you? This parachute will probably open, so stop worrying and jump out of the plane. Ben, we'll see how the slogan uh, goes on. Uh, They're trying to persuade people not to believe in God. These false teachers, they're not doing that. They aren't saying, give up on being a Christian. No, what they say they can offer is a fuller knowledge of God and a fuller freedom in powerful Christian living. See, what's tricky about that is that on the surface, they sound like they're encouraging you to become more deeply Christian. They sound like wonderful Christians. See, verse 16, if you have a look at it, uh, they seem to draw on historical Old Testament religious credentials, Sabbath days, all the feasts, they know all about it. Uh, Down in verse 18, they've got stories to tell about dramatic and powerful spiritual experiences. Got all sorts of details they can go into about it. It's hard to argue with that kind of thing, isn't it? So how do you even spot that they've distorted the Christian message when they sound so persuasive, when they seem to be talking about being really spiritual, when they seem to know all the right words to use. How do you spot it? Well, let me show you how Paul says we do it. 
And if it's not pushing the illustration too far, I think all you need to ask is, what have they got in that wonder room? What have they got in that wonder room? See, behind everything else they do in life, when you open the door on what they look for, look to for confidence in knowing God, what do you see? See, when you open the door on what makes them feel free from God's judgment and qualified to stand before him, what do you see? That's the only question that we need to ask. See, for the genuine Christian, the Christian who is truly spiritual, there's only ever one thing, isn't there? Jesus Christ. But with these guys, what is it? Well, verse 16, they're judging people, and I guess themselves, on their ability to know and keep certain religious practices. See, they might uh, talk about Jesus, but by their actions, they're not really saying, isn't Jesus wonderful? If you trust him, whoever you are, he's all you need. No, they're confident in their own good religious behavior which leaves them free to judge others who don't reach their standards. See, verse 18, uh, you look for what they're qualifying people by or trying to disqualify people by, and it seems that they measure and qualify other people's spirituality, and I guess their own, based on dramatic spiritual experiences. See, they might talk about Jesus, but by their actions, they're not really saying, isn't Jesus wonderful? If you're trusting him, whoever you are, he's all the spiritual experience you need. Now, these teachers feel qualified on the basis of these experiences, which leaves them free to disqualify, to disqualify people who have not had them. And Paul says, oh, they'll do it with false humility. So when you open the door of this wonder room, you, find, um, you, find it's, um, you don't find it's Jesus who's there alone to be trusted. No, they're trusting their own good works and their own spiritual ability. And that's why Paul is saying in verse 17, they're left with shadows, not with Christ. That's why, uh, that's what Paul is saying in verse 19, if Christ alone is the way to know God and have freedom before him, then what does it mean if even unwittingly I start to put my confidence in my own spiritual experience? See, well, the person who does that, verse 19, has lost connection with Jesus from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Now let me try and give you an example of what this might look like. See, at the beginning of this summer, uh, beginning of last summer, just before the end of term, there was a, a buzz going around the student scene here in Sheffield, and I guess in other places. I heard snippets of it. I didn't really get to know much of it. But snippets of it, dramatic spiritual experiences were happening. People, I am told, were reporting to have gold dust appear on their hands. A, a dramatic spiritual experience. I don't know, there might be some here who had that happen to them. Uh, look, Make sure you, you understand me clearly here. I'm not saying God doesn't or can't do unusual things on occasions. I'm only using this as an example. It, it could be a variety of things. It could be speaking in tongues. It could be having a vision or seeing an angel. And it doesn't just apply to students. It could be for anyone. But as you think about that, well, here's the danger. If for even a moment you start to think... I must be okay as a Christian because I've had this experience. 
Paul says, you're basing your qualification on an experience and you're in danger of losing connection with Jesus. See, if for even a moment you start to think other Christians who don't have this experience are not really as spiritual as my friends who have, Paul says you're attempting to qualify and disqualify people on the basis of a spiritual experience separate to Jesus. The thing that's in that wonder room isn't Jesus. It's you. You're becoming puffed up and filled with idle notions and you're losing connection with Christ. See, that's where the false humility comes in. So how do you spot false humility? Well, if I know the only reason I'm okay with God is nothing to do with me and only because of Christ, I will never put another Christian down. I will never make them feel inferior or less spiritual. How could I? I've got nothing to feel superior about. They've got Christ. And having him, they possess the content of God's wonder room. But if I find myself meeting other Christians who trust Jesus, and I'm thinking to myself, they're just not as spiritual as we are, they're not really engaging on the same spiritual level as us, then no matter how often I say it's all for Jesus, it's really a false humility. And like the Carlsberg advert, what you mean is, we're the best. We just don't want to say it directly. See, if you want to know how to handle the discouragements that can make you feel like you're not a proper Christian, here's what you do. You don't lose sight of the wonder of Jesus Christ. He's the one who tells you everything you need to know about God. He gives you all the power you need to live for God. And even when you don't, he'll forgive you and keep you safe. And if anyone tries to suggest you're not spiritual enough, the question you need to be asking is, are they encouraging me to know and trust Jesus more? And if they're not, toughen up and don't let them push you around. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these words, and words that remind us about Jesus, and words that are designed to make us tough. Please save us from the kind of toughness that is just arrogant, that is overly critical, that doesn't listen to people. And would you give us that robust toughness that comes from understanding grace, that comes from knowing that we've nothing good in ourselves, it's all Jesus. That toughness that won't try and justify ourselves based on our a good actions and won't try and make other people do the same but will encourage them robustly that if they're trusting Jesus they've got everything they need would you help us to do that by your Holy Spirit we ask it in Jesus name Amen